Ryan Larson, we are back here and we are going to dissect the AFC West. I got a question for you right off the bat. Who do you think wins this division? It's pretty wide open this year. Yeah, this is the toughest division by far to predict, and I try to stick away from it. I will go with Kansas City because I think in terms of being a complete team, they probably have the best chance of winning the division. Denver Broncos are like right below them for me. I think it's going to come down to those two who actually wins the division this year. See, I'm the opposite. I think it's going to be Los Angeles or Las Vegas. But <laughs> it's wide open. The only reason why I say L.A., because I think they address their weaknesses the most and they get uh, Derwin James back. So I feel like they got the most positives over the offseason and one of the best lines in the league. So I expect uh, big things from them. Why don't why don't we go into Kansas City? Let's we're just going to try and keep these very concise with these team projections instead of doing individual teams. We'll keep them divisional. Um, so Kansas City. They do have a really strong offensive line returning, so you don't have to worry about the backbone of this offense crumbling. But the big glaring hole, I guess, or change over the offseason was how how the heck do they replace Tyreek Hill? Yeah, it, it, you, you can't. It, it, there, there's not going to be a full replacement of Tyreek Hill. It's, his targets are going to get allocated elsewhere, and they got to hope that you know, bringing in like Marquez Valdez scaling is going to help them still be able to remain like a good team over the top and being able to take the top off of defenses. See, I, in my projections, I really didn't discount Mahomes all too much. I still have him throwing for nearly 4,800 yards, 34 touchdowns, eight interceptions. There's no question regarding his talent. It's just who the heck is going to be on that receiving end. From what I saw from a fantasy perspective is, I expect this wide receiver room to be very diluted. Um, he's said it'd take a group effort to replace Tyreek Hill, and I think that's exactly what we're going to see this year. Yeah, I think the the surefire winner of this Tyreek Hill move is Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey shoots back into, uh, you know, next to Mark Andrews. I think he's the elite tight end one, no question about it. He's I, think, gonna get- I think he's uh, in his own echelon uh, with this move. And we'll we'll touch base with Mark Andrews, but I really don't think I don't see Baltimore throwing 600 times next year again. Um, I think Kelsey's clear cut tight end one this year. Yeah, and you can't argue it. And then once you get to the receivers, it's really going to be <laughs> it, it, pick a it's week a and it's going to be a different guy. You know what I mean? I like Sky more the most. Uh, I think Juju has the highest probability to lead the pack. But at wide receiver 25, 26, you're drafting him at a pretty high valuation already. And for an offense that has oh, four receivers, that could be the wide receiver one. I like Sky Moore right around wide receiver 52. Um, I'll take a shot at him in the 11th, 12th round any day of the week. Yeah, him and, and MBS seem to be the guys, if you really want a piece, you can get them super duper late. And Juju like you said, upside isn't really fully there. He's more of this safe option who probably isn't going to pop off and finish inside that top 15 by the end of the year. He is only 25 and he has three top 20 campaigns under his belt already. So like I said, that, that pedigree is there. Um, he's surely got the talent to finish in the top 20 again. Um, but yeah, you're, you're paying the price for him. Absolutely. And, and and remember, these some of these targets are going to go allocated to the running back room because that's just what happens when the top uh, wideout leaves. It doesn't all go to receivers. They usually allocate it back down to the running backs. And uh, 
the only guy that's there that's going to be catching the ball a lot is going to be CEH now. Yeah, I really like Clyde more than I originally thought I would. Um, I only have him seeing 60 targets this year, but that's still a lot for running back. I feel like his floor is very safe. If he's my RB2, I feel a little concerned, but if I can get him as my third running back, I, I feel like he's going to put out another good season. He's splitting time with Ronald Jones this year, but do you really think Rojo cuts into his, his production more than Daryl Williams did? No, I don't, because Daryl Williams is a better dual threat. I think the one thing that Rojo is really going to do to CEH is take away goal line work because Rojo is he's good when he's down close. He's he's the more prototypical big back. And I think Andy Reid kind of understands that. So he's going to take some of the valuable carries away when they're down close, but nothing when it comes to the passing game. Honestly, passing game, I think CEH might even take a step up from what we've seen over past years because I think he's more secure as a target now. Yep. Rojo signed on the near minimum deal uh less than daryl williams they chose to let him walk i think uh the value in that contract kind of speaks that they aren't they aren't too invested in rojo i feel like clyde is still their their feature back yeah absolutely i i couldn't agree with you more and then Derek gore just a piece to kind of keep an eye on if injuries happen really if injuries happen he could be valuable i want to turn it over to las vegas they took second in this division last year um reunited and it feels so good right and they got Devonte adams Derek carr's drinking buddy from college is now connected with his quarterback again um other than that i can only say positive things about this vegas offense over the offseason i'm really interested to see what josh mcdaniels can do with it yeah i, I and the question i want to ask you most because i feel like everybody has a different opinion how much of a difference of the Devontae Adams we know do you think we're going to see compared to what we've you know known of him to be with the Packers? So I've been saying that he's a wide receiver one, but he's got the widest range of outcomes. I could really see a world where like that Stafford and Cup, that fresh connection is just lethal and it, it mows through everybody. I can see a world where Devontae Adams regains the, the top tier wide receiver one spot. And I can also see him finishing, I don't know, wide receiver 12 to 14. You still have Hunter Renfro there, who's one of the better slot receivers and red zone receivers. Nobody really wants to give him credit for that. And Darren Waller is another guy that's kind of like a freakishly athletic tight end who consumes a lot of volume. Yeah, it's one of those things where he hasn't played with this type of talent around him for most of his career, so it could help him in terms of coverage. But I think it, I think it's going to really come down to touchdowns. I don't project that he's going to lose a ton of targets and not catch the ball as much. It's really, is he going to get in the end zone as much as he used to when he was in uh, Green Bay? That's going to be the deciding factor, I think. Yeah, I have Tay seeing 147 targets, over 100 receptions, 1,200 yards, nearly double-digit touchdowns. But that's going to be the category in his production that really decides whether he's wide receiver 12 or one, just how many times does he find the end zone? We all know he's arguably the best when we get down near the goal line. It, it will see how he competes with Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller for finding the end zone. Yeah, and we didn't even talk about what that does for Derek Carr, right? Because Carr now, he's always been that middling, like QB 13 right inside to break the top 12. But I think he's got the chance to really break into that this year with uh, Devontae Adams leading the way. Yeah, last year he turned out a really good year. I don't know if he eclipsed 5,000 yards, but I know he was very close to it. 
Um, but the, the passing touchdowns and the lack of the rushing upside, those are his two big hindrances in finishing high as a fantasy quarterback. I, I can't really see a world where he gets into the top 10 just because he has no rushing upside at all. And last year they were one, they were the 29th best red zone offense. They struggled converting into finding the end zone. I think Josh McDaniels, he's one of the best offensive coordinators in the game for a long time. Now he's got the wheel. I think they improve on that. And I think the biggest beneficiary from him coming in there and fixing up this red zone offense is Josh Jacobs. Yeah, and I love that too because there's a lot of hesitancy with Jacobs, especially when they didn't pick up his fifth-year option. That was the big red flag. Like, oh, do they even really want him? To me, that says he's in a contract year. And he's going to have to do the most with what he's got. And I love taking guys like that. So I definitely think even with what you have here, he doesn't even break a thousand. I think there's a good chance he could break a thousand rushing yards. And, uh, you know, the, the only thing that's going to hold him back is, you know, the receiving work is Kenyon Drake and Brandon Bolden going to really eat into that. That's, that's the big fear. Yeah. And I think we saw last year, what did Jacobs produce? So over 50 targets, he had a really safe baseline with his receiving production. I feel like he, we saw last year that he can have that really comfortable floor with the receiving workload. I'm sort of concerned whether Zamir White, them drafting him, uh, shows that the telltale fate of this backfield falls into White's hands as the next, the next piece to this running game. Um, but yeah, Jacobs is just 24. He's entering his money season early for his rookie contract. I do agree. I think it's a positive incentive, not a negative one that they declined his fifth year. It's all the more reason for him to really haul ass this year. And my projections show he's not running for a thousand yards. If Zamir White, Kenyon Drake, Brandon Bolden get a couple touches on the ground each game, but he's still, I'm projecting him to finish with 231 points. That would have been good enough for RB10 last year. I think at RB17, he's a really cheap RB2. Yeah, it's the perfect value. And there are teams out there that could really even potentially, you know, run into the league, run into their fantasy league with him as their RB1. And if their wide receiver room is is really is really solid, I don't think you should be super concerned about that if you want to play it a little risky. Yeah, I, I agree. Also, another another guy that I feel like is discounted more than he should be over this offseason is, is Hunter Renfro, even with Tay there. He's still the chain mover. He's still an elite slot receiver. People just laugh at his appearance, but ultimately he's a great wide receiver. And we saw with Julian Edelman, Josh McDaniels knows how to utilize that slot effectively. Yeah. And people look too hard at how high he finished last year and automatically disc, you know, take him away because he's not going to get there. He's going to still be a fantastic fantasy asset. He's just most likely going to regress in the touchdown department. And that means that he still has the ability to finish top 24 in any sort of PPR format. He doesn't have to finish as wide receiver 10 like he did last year. It was incredible and nobody expected that. I have him finishing out wide receiver 23 last year. I think him as a wide receiver three, um, he's being drafted at wide receiver 31, is the guy that I'm going to target in most drafts. Now we're going to flip it over to Los Angeles. What intrigues you the most about this offense? I am most intrigued. Well, I guess if, if I'm being honest, it's the tight end perspective because I love Gerald Everett. And I think that 
his talent Mitch, you know, matched with this team who really needed a tight end that could actually, you know, get over the top and not be old man uh, Jared Cook last season. I think he's got a chance to really potentially break into that top 12 and be a potential weekly fantasy asset at a position where, you know, we're sitting here struggling to find that type of thing. Yeah, we were doing our mock draft earlier. That's a guy that I'm going to target in the later rounds as my backup tight end. He's got a lot of upside. Jared Cook had 83 targets last year. Uh, somebody needs to replace him. Gerald Everett was given that money to be the starting tight end. I think he's a really good flyer. And especially in deeper formats, you're probably going to be okay if that's your only starting option. Um, a big thing that I found in my projections here with LA is I actually have Mike Williams outpacing Keenan Allen this year. They're only separated by nine points last year. Allen finishing higher in the PPR format. I think Mike Williams gets the better of him this year. It's definitely possible. And, you know, we've seen Allen's metrics kind of dip a little bit. I'm not saying he's washed because he's not even close to that at this point, but you know, Williams, Williams really showed that connection, that strong connection with Herbert early. And then we find out after the season that when he was struggling for fantasy, he was dealing with some injuries. And that's the thing with Williams. You're going to have that risk always baked into Williams. He's got an injury uh, history, but if he could stay healthy and even get close to producing like he did during the first four to six weeks of last season and stretch that out over a longer period of time, there's no question in my mind that Williams will be able to outpace him in terms of fantasy points. Just know that, you know, he's not as safe an option uh, in PPR formats because he's not going to catch, you know, 110 balls like uh, Keenan Allen will. Yeah, no, if I'm on the clock, I'm probably taking Keenan Allen as my wide receiver too. I like having that safe floor for my wide receiver too. If my wide receiver one, for whatever reason gets hurt, I still know I have Keenan Allen, a top 15 guy week in, week out. Um, Mike Williams is explicitly the red zone favorite. We saw that last year from Justin Herbert. And I want... I definitely want a slice of this LA offense. It's so valuable. We saw it last year. Uh, Herbert and Eckler finished at the QB2 and RB2 spot, respectively. Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, both low-end wide receiver ones. I, I need a slice of this, and the slice that I'm willing to take the most at the number – if I had the first overall position, I would take Austin Eckler there. I think he's just so valuable. He had 20 touchdowns last year, and it, it, that wasn't a mistake. Uh, there's a reason behind that madness there. They try to get him the ball when they get close. And I think that's not going to stop. You saw them have far more success with him as the red zone back than in previous years when he split time with Josh Kelly, uh, Melvin Gordon, even I, I think Eckler is being discounted because of touchdown regression and the presence of Isaiah Spiller. Now I'm really not concerned about that. Are you? No. And it's funny because that is the one thing that always gets thrown in my face when I'm arguing for Eckler is touchdown regression. And I get that that is there's a chance that that happens, but we have to understand how valuable he is because of how good of a dual threat he is. And you're right that when they got down close, whenever they could get him the ball, they got him the ball in terms of Spiller. I'm not super worried about Spiller because I think he's just more of that big thumper. He's not going to eat into any of the valuable. He's Justin Jackson. Yeah. And Jackson and Jackson's gone. And I think that they really just, the the chargers are smart. They're preparing themselves for injury because, you know, these guys have injury history. Mike Williams and Austin Eckler have some injury history to them. They want to make sure they're prepared. 
and they let Justin Jackson go. So may as well draft a running back. That's not going to cost them anything in Isaiah Spiller. So it's definitely it's he's not really someone that I'm concerned with. Definite handcuff for Eckler if you're looking to get the handcuff for Eckler. Absolutely. And even reach for it if you can, because we know that L.A. backfield is so immensely valuable. You you need it on lockdown if you get Eckler. You have to reach for Isaiah Spiller even a round or two early just to ensure that. Um, the big incentive about drafting Austin Eckler is he's basically a wide receiver and a running back. Uh, he's had two seasons now. Last year was not his first season with eight receiving touchdowns. He did it three years ago. Uh, last year he had, what, 70-something catches. That wasn't his career high. He's gone – I think he's eclipsed 90 uh rb4 finish he had three years ago he he saw over 100 targets i i'm projecting him with 14.2 touchdowns between air and ground that'd be five nearly six six less than last year and he still i think is going to come out on top for me yeah and it makes sense you know that's that's where we always need to talk about touchdown regression you can't just say it and expect them to finish a lot lower you gave him fewer touchdowns than he had last season and he's still finishing way at the top like he most likely will by the end of the year so I'm not worried about Eckler whatsoever the only thing that I was wondering is there any other piece that people can look for late in drafts to you know kind of get a piece of this receiving pie because we all know Herbert's going to throw for you know 650 pass attempts so my vote would be Gerald Everett but if right. you don't want a tight end or he's off the board you can go Jalen Guyton or Josh Palmer, but I feel like they kind of cancel each other out. They share that wide receiver three spot in the offense. I think neither are too valuable, but if one goes out, uh, snatch them up off waivers right away. Yeah, I, it's trying to decipher which one I think would take over if something happened to Williams or Allen. That's where I always try to figure it out and I can never get it right. Cause it seems like they really do switch them in pretty evenly. They, they were within 1% of the snap share from yeah. last year. Like they, they played pretty equally in that third split end spot. Uh, let's go over to Denver. This is a team that took last in the division last year, but they perhaps did the most to win it. And obviously it starts at Russell Wilson taking over at the wheel. Um, I can't express my gratitude enough for this offense. I'm so glad it happened. Nathaniel Hackett is the new head coach. He only helped Aaron Rodgers produce back-to-back MVP seasons. I, I see the sky is the limit here. Yeah, and it definitely is. I mean, <clears throat> when you insert a quarterback like Russell Wilson to pretty much any offense in the NFL that doesn't have an elite quarterback, everything's going to go sky high in terms of projections. Um Wilson is Wilson for fantasy purposes. I think he's got an outcome of, you know, elite level. He can be top three at worst. He's probably inside the top eight. So he's one of those guys that I think you can target in the seventh, eighth round. If you want to go there at quarterback and you're going to be sitting absolutely pretty. Cause I don't think he's going higher than that. Yeah. I really prefer him as my starting QB in one QB leagues. Cause like you said, he's not that expensive. One guy that I do think is a little too expensive in this offense right now is Javante. Um, look, him and Melvin Gordon split 50-50 right down to the T last year. Each of them had 203 carries. I think at most it tilts 60-40 uh, in Williams's favor. But look, Melvin Gordon's one of seven players with 67 touchdowns since 2015. The dude's an elite running back, whether you like it or not. 
He is getting up there in age, but he has been for a while. He's still one of the best red zone backs you can have on the team. Um, I don't know. Javante being drafted at RB12 is a little too steep for my blood. Yeah, and I've seen him go as high as RB9 in a couple of mocks that I've done, and I, it's just crazy to me because I have everybody telling me you're too low on Javante in your rankings because I think I got him at like 17 or 18. But realistically, I just don't want to take that risk with how high he's going in drafts right now. Yeah, he'll out he'll out snap Gordon, but Gordon's going to take away red zone work and stuff like that. Like you said, he's just an elite scorer. So it, it's just too much going on for me. If he was cheaper, I'd be in on Javante, but he's way too expensive right now. Gordon's had, I think, six straight seasons with nine plus touchdowns. That's not by mistake. They brought him back. Um, you know, people, I think, Javante's valuation is very inflated because they waited, they pondered bringing back Melvin Gordon for a while. So all that Javante hype came flushing in when Melvin Gordon was gone. He looked to have the backfield in a monopoly. That's not the case. I I still feel like that valuation for him needs to be relegated a little bit more. Yeah. And I think the reason that they went back for Gordon is they just didn't get the running back they wanted in the draft, to be honest. Yeah, I agree. Um, so Judy or Sutton, I go Sutton. I think Sutton only for the sole fact that we've seen it before with Sutton. Mm -hmm. And I think he's the better all around wide receiver while Judy, he's more specialized as like, he could be more of a big play threat. I think than Sutton would be. See, I, I don't know about the big play threat. Cortland Sutton has the second highest average depth of target at 15.7 yards last year. Russ has that cannon arm. I feel like the big play threat comes from Cortland Sutton. Judy's dangerous with the ball in his hands. I I see where you're getting at about that playmaking ability. Uh, When the ball's in his hands, he makes guys miss and he makes them look silly. I think Sutton's a splash play guy, similar to Mike Williams and Keenan Allen. Jerry Judy's just a very poor man's Keenan Allen. And we've seen Cortland Sutton be better than what Mike Williams currently is. Like like you said, we've seen it before from Cortland Sutton, and that's why I'll, I too tilt in his favor. Yeah, and I and I, I I actually tilt in his favor enough to where I would be more comfortable drafting Sutton even a round or two earlier than where Judy is going. I have that much faith that he's going to be the leader of this pack, and that's not to say Jerry Judy's not a good pick, but I think right now I think Judy is going ahead of Sutton ADP wise, and that's where I'm taking the value. I think. Yeah, I have Cortland Sutton projected to outscore Jerry Judy by 24 points on the air. That's nearly a point and a half each game, pretty substantial. I just feel like he's going to average over 15 yards per catch. He's, you know, you can't really decide whether which one's DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett because we've seen both of them have their roles play out to be interchangeable over the years. And I feel like we're going to see that, you know, they're in a, offensive oriented head coach I feel like he's going to unlock the best out of both regardless yeah and it's interesting too he moved to the Russell Wilson moved to the perfect team because he does have that type of one-two combo like he used to have uh it's interesting to watch and there there's other pieces on this offense that you can get to that I love I mean we saw it in the mock draft this morning I took Tim Patrick really late and I love being able to get him if I can't get the other two I'm targeting for Patrick because I think that he's going to have enough weeks where I can use him as a flex option for most weeks. Yeah. He's definitely got the upside, especially for a 15th round pick. 
I feel like people are overdrafting their tight end, Albert O, not even going to try and pronounce his last name. Um, I, ju I just think we've never seen Russ support uh, tight end one in fantasy, and I don't think it's going to start all of a sudden this year, especially with three very capable wide receivers, a really strong elite running back duo. I think Russ is going to be cooking, just not with Albert O. Yeah, and I'm not, I've never been his biggest fan. People seem to really gravitate towards him once they found out that Fant was a part of the trade. And I just, I don't see it. I think that he'll, he'll have something reminiscent. The only way he's going to be really good is something reminiscent of like Robert Tanyan a couple of years ago. Big touchdown guy. If he does that, he'll have those spike weeks and finish inside the top 10 by the end of the year, but it's not going to be consistent in any way. He runs under a four five, which is insane for a six five, two sixty guy, but. I just that doesn't necessarily translate to fantasy points. I have him coming in at the fourth spot for this division among tight ends. Gerald Everett's going to outscore him. Darren Waller is a complete tier above them, and Travis Kelsey's a complete tier above them. I feel like tight ends very uncontroversial in this division. There's pretty much an agreed pecking order here. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's it is crazy to see the differences between there. There are true tier breaks when you look at it that way, too. Yeah. Uh, going back to quarterback, uh, our comprehensive AFC West rankings, uh, Justin Herbert being the top spot. I feel like he's far and away above everybody, especially his rushing upside and just the high power nature of that offense. But I have Russell Wilson over Patrick Mahomes just by a point and a half. They're they're going to be back to back. I still see better things coming from Russ than I do Patty Mahomes. And I feel like just the number one factor into that ranking and projection is the shift in talent among their receiving groups. Yeah. And I like where, where you have this because this kind of shows Wilson closer to that ceiling. Mahomes, this isn't to say Mahomes is bad. He's being drafted inside that top three, top five, because most likely he'll finish there. It's just not going to look like it used to back in the past where he could, you know, be the upper echelon elite over everybody else, QB1. Wilson can definitely finish there, but also, you know, it, it factors in that he could also finish a little bit lower towards that 6-8 spot if something happens to where he's just not as potent as we would want him to be. Right, and Derek Carr is probably going to fall right around the QB12 spot that he historically has. I feel like he's a safe backup quarterback if you want to risk it with Justin Fields, Deshaun Watson, Trey Lance. That's the number one security piece you could have for your fantasy team. Austin Eckler tops my comprehensive running back rankings. Uh, that's pretty settled. That's going to be agreed with among everybody. Eckler's far and away the best running back in this division from a fantasy perspective. He might be the top running back when I'm done crafting all these projections. I don't know. Uh, and I, I wouldn't argue with you that the, the top of the RB pecking order is so interesting this year. And uh, yeah, no, I completely agree. Eckler is maybe even two or three tiers above all of these guys at this point. Right. And I think something a lot of people are going to have trouble swallowing as Josh Jacobs is going to outscore Javante Williams this year. I'm pretty yeah. confident on it. Uh, high, higher powered offense for Las Vegas. This year, I think that results in more Josh Jacobs end zone visits. And I just like the security of being the premier back in there instead of a split backfield. And I think that you've only got him with a little over four points higher. I think that he could finish with even more than that, to be honest with you. I just the, the, the Javante thing, it has to work out where he gets a good majority of the carries and targets over 
Melvin Gordon, and he's got to score at a higher rate. And one of those things is going Gordon's way, and that's going to really hurt Javante for fantasy. We talk about higher-powered offenses benefiting the running back position. That obviously helps Denver. Um, Both of them finished inside the top 21 running backs last year, Javante and Melvin Gordon. I am higher on Javante than I initially was. Originally, in my head, before I actually crafted this statistically, I claim Javante to be fringe top 15. I still think he's closer to 15 than he is 10, um, but he he's, he is going to be a solid RB2 this year, just like he was last year. Yeah, and I think it's just people need to re-manage their expectations of him because they went into this offseason thinking he was a top eight, top five guy. Now you just got to manage your expectations to know he's a really, really good high-end RB2. Right. Uh, Melvin Gordon's by far the best value at running back. Actually, out of anybody in this division, perhaps even the league, really, in fantasy football, Melvin Gordon's being drafted at RB37. He finished as an RB21 last year. I really don't see him being discounted all for much further than what he finished at last year. I will take him as my fourth running back very happily. Um, he's still a solid guy that's going to get eight-plus touchdowns on the year. I only have CH outscoring him by nearly a half a point a game. Yeah, and the best part about having Gordon that late is there's the baked-in value. If something happens to Javante, guess what? It's the Melvin Gordon show now, and you've got a top-12 running back no matter what, going in what, like the 10th, 11th round? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Wide receiver, Devontae Adams, I'm projecting him to finish with 281 points. That'd be about 30 less than last year for him. That still would put him in that middle of the pack wide receiver one category. Again, I feel like his range of outcomes is clear cut number one or low end wide receiver one, even high end wide receiver two. Or excuse me, Las Vegas is going to be interesting to watch, to say the least. Yeah, Adams. And I love that you put him right there because it gives room. He can definitely finish with more than that and finish closer to that top three. But like you said, the outcomes are so wide. He could finish even closer to where Mike Mike Williams is at 248. Right. Williams outscoring Keenan Allen. They're going to finish back to back. I feel like again, they did it last year. I see them finishing in the same neighborhood this year. Corlin Sutton's not far behind. I have him projected 239 points compared to Keenan Allen's 248. I think Sutton's better than we think. That would have been that would have placed him right around wide receiver 14, 15 last year. And I think that's a, a comfortable assumption that he's a top 25 receiver and you're drafting him at his absolute floor. He's got that big playmaking ability. It might not be a pretty season. It's not going to be consistent, but he could have weeks where he goes for 7, 120, and 2. Yeah, it, staring at this and looking at this chart, he's my biggest value looking at this because I think you're right. Definitely, I, maybe not at the level of Allen or Mike Williams, but over all the rest of those guys, I think he finishes higher and by a good margin. Right. Uh, another spicy take with Jerry Judy. Sorry, Jerry Judy. I promise you I don't like have anything against you. I think Hunter Renfro outscores Judy. Um, I feel like he's much more solidified in his offense, and he, he's got a lot more intangibles going his way. I think both of them are comfortable wide receiver threes. I just think you're drafting Jerry Judy way too early. You need to pump the brakes with him. Yes, he's got the draft pedigree, but he's in year three right now, and he still has nothing really to show for it. No, I completely agree with you because 
uh, you know, <clears throat> especially with where Judy's going right now, you that that it's just it's a Javante situation. You got to temper expectations at this point. And Renfro, even if he loses some touchdowns, receptions matter in fantasy football, guys, and he's going to have a lot of them. If he has, let's see, I had him at a 19% target share. That I think he was right around 25, 26 last year. I'd, I'd have to check before I throw out a number. That'd be good enough for 120 receptions. He's got one of the highest catch rates in the league. He's still going to approach 90 receptions on the year. And he doesn't all of a sudden lose his red zone value. I still think he scores seven, eight, nine times this year. There's a world where he leads that team in touchdowns because of every other piece that defenses have to account for. And it, it's it's not something that should be sneezed at. And he's an absolute menace to society. You can't discount that. Yeah, absolutely. And then the bottom there with Juju and Patrick, even, even though they're at the bottom of this list, I think that uh, especially Patrick, Patrick goes for such a good value. He's someone that I think people really need to target at the end of their drafts if they don't get a piece of uh, Cortland Sutton or Jerry Judy. Let's close this out with like just bottom line. This division is probably the most talented in the league. I, I would say by far a, a lot of people want to argue AFC North, NFC West, something else. No, I think the AFC West is premier. They play each other twice. All the teams play each other two times. And I think you're going to see a lot of shootouts. And when these divisional teams match up, you're going to see fireworks in the fantasy department. Yeah. It, I mean, guys, just get a piece of these offenses because, and there's so many of them that are going at decent values or right where they should be that every fantasy team should try and aim for at least one of these pieces in any of these positions. There we go. That's the AFC West. I hope this wasn't longer than I expected. I really want these to be about 15, 20 minutes. I feel like we might've talked a little longer, but I just get, I, I get giddy talking, talking projections, you know? Uh, I, I'm the same way. I, I know I knew me joining would uh, stretch it out a little bit longer than you wanted, but I think it, I think it came out nice, sweet and to the point for everybody. There we go. Follow us on Twitter, TikTok, at Wag Me Fantasy, uh, visit our website, subscribe to our newsletter. You could have gotten this two days earlier in written form and in much more depth and with better concision instead of us babbling on about them. <laughs> yes, absolutely, guys. Go and sign up for that newsletter and don't forget to do the confirmation email afterwards. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. We'll see you next time.